Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 10th, 2019, we're continuing our series titled, Walk This Way, 2 Timothy. In today's sermon, Pass It On, Pastor Mark Yule is going to be teaching from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7. through 7. We hope you enjoy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Thank you so much for the family that you have given to us. Why is Dad giving that guy a blanket? Hold the door for Grandma Jay. Thank you. I got you. I got you. We thank you for the privilege that we have of serving you and to be disciples. I'm so sorry, baby girl. Let's try again, okay? Go ahead and ease it forward. It's okay. Let's go. Come on. I got you. Good job. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it an opportunity a couple weeks ago, Mary Beth and I were at a very special dinner over at some friend's house, uh, Joe and Michelle Cardini, you're in here somewhere, and um, we had a great night. I want to try to retell one of the stories that they told us, because Joe said that he had an amazing experience growing up. His father left him when he was a a young boy, and um, he was left really fatherless. But his grandfather, Giorgio Cardini, how's that for a a good Italian name? Giorgio Cardini stepped in and stepped up to be the father figure that Joe and his brothers needed and wanted. And Joe tells the story of how they learned so much from their grandfather. He taught them how to drive a car. Uh, how to tie a tie, Uh, taught him all the things that you normally would with a a dad, you know, uh, but the most important thing that they got from their grandfather, who they called Nano, was really the source of constant love that he gave them and that he poured into their lives. And after um, Joe's grandmother uh, died, Joe actually spent three years as Nano's roommate and learned again, just from observation, so much about his grandpa. And I wish I could describe to you with the emotion that Joe described to us, the respect and the love that he saw for his grandpa. And it was just amazing. He describes him as the greatest man that he ever knew. Well, Joe got married, and about a year into his marriage, Nano, decided that he wanted to invite both Joe and Michelle to Italy and to introduce them to the family back there in in Italy. So they had a great trip. Uh, It was interesting, uh, Michelle actually told on the flight over, Nano was just talking nonstop about all these deep, important philosophies of life. And she thought, gosh, that's kind of weird. He just would not shut up the whole time. I wanted to sleep, but he kept talking about these important things. And then in the train ride from Rome, after they'd had a tour of Rome over to the smaller village, they said it was just kind of odd that he would talk about 
important things, where you could find his most important treasures or items back home, where the important papers were. And then that night when they got to the village, there was just the magical scene that we've seen pictured in movies. Uh, Giorgio's sister would, would open the window and call out, Giorgio, Giorgio, as they came into town and they had one of those great Italian dinners that was just filled with laughter and with fun and with hugs and trying to talk back and forth in Italian and English. And I'm sure it was just a ton of food, a ton of laughs, and my guess would be a ton of wine. And it was just, again, a magical evening for Joe and Michelle. The next morning, they were going to get another personal tour of the town, so they were waiting in the lobby for Nano to show up, and he wasn't there, which was somewhat unusual. So after repeated calls in the room that went unanswered, Joe and the hotel manager went to Nano's room, opened the door to find that their grandfather had died that morning of a heart attack. And as I heard that story, all of a sudden it just triggered in my mind because I knew I'd be teaching this passage this morning. And I thought that is exactly the picture that I'd want us to see in our minds and to feel in our hearts about how important it is for those that are running short on days to pass on the most important things of life to the next generation. In seven simple verses, Paul is going to do that to his disciple, his protege, Timothy. And all through the book, you're going to see just an incredible outpouring of one who knows their time is short, wanting to invest the best that he can into the life of the next generation, just like Nano did with Joe as well as Michelle. So this morning, we've got the great privilege of looking at seven verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to turn there as I pray, and then we'll get started in this study. Father, thank you so much for such a great passage of Scripture. And Father, it's been my prayer this last couple weeks, God, that you would be moving and that you would be the teacher to allow us to understand with our minds, to understand and hear with our hearts, and then, God, to be able to move with our actions everything that's included in this passage. Father, again, you do your work as only you can do through your timeless and very practical and applicable word of God. So, Father, again, help us to understand what it means to pass it on. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I was thinking about what this passage means, it means a lot to me as the pastor of discipleship. That's my new term. Uh, if I had a business card, that's what it would say. But um, this passage is all, all about discipleship. But I thought, you know, this isn't about me. This is about collectively us. What does this passage really have to mean to us? And I was trying to figure that out through Paul's pen. Because I believe that what Paul is writing is every bit as applicable to us as it was to Timothy as he unrolled and read the words for the first time. Because I believe that Paul is writing with some dangers in mind. And these dangers were present with Timothy as I believe that they still are with us today. For example, the big, big danger of just not understanding what's the bedrock foundation for our Christian faith. 
You see, so many people believe that in order to please God, you've got to work hard to do it. You've got to be able to do a certain number of things and you'll somehow get a checkbox of approval by God. Paul wanted Timothy to know that's not the basis for our faith and he'll tell Timothy what it is. I think there's also this danger that we simply want to go through life kind of on a comfortable path, that this Christian life will be easy. And Paul's going to tell his disciple that the easy way is not the Christian way. And to be able to really realize that there might be a little level of discomfort with each of our steps that we take. He wanted Timothy to know as he looks ahead that, hey, as believers, we don't get a chance to set the rules ourselves. We march order the under, under the orders of our Lord and King, and it's him we please and not ourselves. And I think he wanted to let Timothy know, and he wants us to know, that this thing called passing on our faith, passing on the baton of faith or the torch of faith to the next generation, it's going to take some hard work, and we need to be dedicated to that. And so as those things were true in Timothy's day, they're also true in our day. So these seven verses will touch on each of those potential dangers. So I'd like us to take a look at really the basic question that we'll be asking throughout the morning. What does it take to pass it on? What does it take to make sure that the next generation has the important things that we've been given? First of all, it takes someone who's strong in faith and strong in grace. And those two go together. Paul would write these words, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He starts off with this term of endearment. My dear child. My child. You can't read these words without seeing the, 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 the relationship just drip from these words. This wasn't just some cold letter. This was a letter written by a father figure in Timothy's life. And it drips with all that same emotion of the, the word nano, grandpa. My child, be strengthened, is the command given. And you'll notice it doesn't say strengthen yourself or even be strong. It's the idea of be strengthened. It's written in the passive form. It means that we somehow gain strength, not by that which we do, but we gain strength by an outside agent that's able to strengthen us. And he tells us who that outside agent is. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. That's the source of the strength that Timothy needs. That's the source of strength that every one of us who call ourselves a Christian need. And that's the source of strength that we need to start our spiritual walk in the first place. Because as Thomas pointed out, and I think uh, Bob did as well, Timothy was one of the pastors in the church of Ephesus. So he would have received already the book of Ephesians that we know as Ephesians where it says, hey, don't boast about your works, but realize faith is, is really a gift given to us. And it's given to us by grace, which opens up the door of salvation for us to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for all that he's done. So as Paul is trying to pass on these most important things, he says it starts with grace. 
It's the one who is strengthened by grace. And if you're taking notes, we won't have a chance to go there. I wish we did, but I'll run out of time if I do. Just write down 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and especially verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. It's a great description of how Paul found strength in grace and was even able to boast about his personal weakness so that the strength and grace of Christ could be put on display. It's a great passage. What does it take to pass on our faith? It takes one who's received grace to start salvation and who is consistently and constantly strengthened by the grace of Christ. Number two thing it takes, it takes one who's trustworthy. Simply trustworthy. Paul writes it this way in the key verse of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful ones who will be able to teach others also. That's the key passage. And I'd like to point out three things that are all wrapped up in this idea of trustworthy. The first is that there's a two-way communication that's going on here. Paul has spoken and Timothy has heard some important things. And we're not exactly told what they are. We can kind of get an idea. But my guess would be that these would be the important things that a a grandfather would want to pass on to his grandson. That a grandmother would want to pass on to her daughter or granddaughter. And Paul, as he's writing these, I think he just knows that Timothy knows what these things are. Much like you would know what those important things are if you had a chance to spend time with one passing on those things of value. You have to have this two-way communication going on. And it wasn't done in secret. You'll notice that Paul says, you've heard me say these things in the presence of many witnesses. This was a public declaration. And it just reminded me of the public display of discipleship that I've seen as I've kind of walked around this immediate area. You go over here to the general store on a weekday morning, and you might find Jim Ricketts with his Bible open, meeting with another man, discipling him up in the important things of God. You might head down to the Einsteins by Desert Ridge and see Steve Fedeski doing what he does best, discipling another young man in the things of faith. You can go into our office uh, kitchen table area and watch Pam Phillips as she opens up her Bible to many of the women who are working on our administrative staff. These things are being done publicly without shame. And that's the heart of discipleship. And again, it was done something, this, this two-way conversation and communication was being, being done publicly. And then secondly, in this idea of trustworthiness, you have a, a teacher and you have a, a teachable student. And again, you need both of these. Paul was the willing teacher. And just as important, Timothy was the hungry learner. And really, that's the, I, one of the meanings of the word disciple. It means to be a learner, to be a follower. And Timothy was that. But you need both of those going on. And then the third thing that you need is the idea of simply trusting the trustworthy. You've got to put your trust in those who are trustworthy. Listen, if you've got something, for example, uh, this ring was, was my dad's ring. He made it. And he made it from the jewels from my grandmother's ring. 
So I'm not going to just give this ring and throw it out to anybody. I'm going to figure out which of my sons, don't ask me how that's going to work. Maybe I'll give the other one my wedding ring. But I want to give them was something of value. I want to give it to someone that will treat it with the honor that it deserves. And Paul found that with Timothy. The things that you've heard me say, entrust, lay alongside, give to those who are faithful, available, and teachable. We like to say, look for the fat ones out there. Faithful, those that are simply going to be dependable, you can count on them. Those that are available, those that will just show up. Chuck Swindoll says 80% of ministry is simply showing up, and I think I would agree with that. So look for the person that's available, and then look for the person, if you want to invest your most important things of faith, look for someone who's teachable, who will take what you give them with eager anticipation because that they know that these things are things of greatest value. Faithful, available, teachable. That's a fat person. But notice, too, that this learner just doesn't stay in the learning mode. There's a future capacity or potential to then teach others also. And this is the great power of multiplication that we see in the discipleship process. Somebody gave me this story, and it taught me a good lesson. George Whitefield and John Wesley were contemporaries back in the 17th century of England's greatest days. Both were dedicated and dedicated themselves to God's work in the same small group there at Oxford University. Both were excellent in open-air preaching. Both witnessed thousands of conversions through their ministries. Yet John Wesley left behind a congregation of 100,000 members. While, John, or while George Whitefield could only point to a, a little tangible fruit that was left as a result of his ministry. Why the difference? This writer points out that Wesley dedicated himself to training and then releasing others that would be able to do the work of the ministry, while George Whitefield just busied himself by preaching and doing the work of ministry. And as I read that story, it really stuck home for me because for regrettably way too many years, I misunderstood this key principle of discipleship because I had spent years making disciples, but I had spent very little intentional time making disciples who will make disciples. Do you see the difference of that? That's such a key. Paul was a master at this. He was investing and pouring into this young man so that this young man, Timothy, would be able to teach others also, and then they would then be able to teach others. There's at least four generations that we see in this one passage in 2 Timothy 2.2. And as I read that story about George Whitefield, as I thought about my own life, I had a chance to reflect last weekend because I had a chance to be able to sit and listen to the celebration of life service for someone who was a Paul to me. His name was Tom Schrader, and he was uh, with me in commercial real estate. Tom went on uh, to start East Valley Bible Church, which became the series of redemption churches that are now around the valley. 
And one speaker after another said the same words that I would have spoken had I been, had a chance to speak in that standing room only service. Each man and woman said, Tom believed in me. And somehow Tom saw in me something that I didn't even see in myself and worked me into an opportunity where I have now been given the chance to teach others also. Tom was a disciple maker who was learning how to make disciples who would make disciples. And by the standing room only crowd that was the greatest celebration, greatest God-glorifying celebration that I've ever been to, it was because Tom had this disciple-making mentality like no one I've ever seen. I love Tom, and I miss him. Well, I would invite you to, to be thinking about that too. Uh, in the first service, there was a guy that was sitting right here that invited me to a Gideon's uh, lunch this last week. Are you familiar with the Gideons? Uh, have you ever been to a hotel, opened up the nightstand, and there's a Bible in there? That's placed there by the Gideons. I didn't realize it, but they, they distribute 90 million copies of the New Testament or the Bible throughout the world every year. And they're thinking about this passing it on mentality so much so that they too, like, like uh, Brandon was kidding about entering into the new 2007 year, uh, they're now uh, distributing their Bibles is in a Bible app form rather than a tangible Bible. Uh, and again, just a great way of be being intentional about thinking of that next generation. Well, what does it take to pass it on? It takes somebody that's being strengthened by grace. It means uh, pouring your life into one who is trustworthy. And then Paul paints three pictures of three occupations that are so easy for us to see. I told Mary Beth this morning that there's not really anything that's outstanding in this. It's, just, it's so obvious. But the obvious part is found not in what they do, but in the character of each of these three clear occupations. The first one that we get to look at is the dedicated, or I'm sorry, the devoted soldier. So the third thing that we see and what it takes to be uh, passed on is one who is devoted. We see this in verses three and four. Paul writes, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The first thing that we need if we want to be devoted is the willingness to suffer. This is not Paul's first invitation to Timothy to come along and join me in suffering, and it won't be his last. It's as if Paul is maybe feeling the scars on his back or being restricted in the chains of that dungeon of a prison cell where he's being held. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, if you want to be devoted, you've got to be willing to suffer. That's a tough thing. I don't know about you, but I don't like to walk into suffering. If you're there at the gym on those rare occasions when I am there, and if you were to watch my, uh, my efforts on the, the treadmill, you'll find that it's a lot easier for me to hit the minus button than it is the plus button that increases the intensity of suffering. And I think that's how it is for most of us in life. We just don't like to, to be pained. And when you're working with people as a disciple maker, when you're pouring your life into people, pain, people are painful. 
I, I had a seminary professor that wisely told me, sheep bite. <laughs> and that's true. And us sheep are stinky. And there's some suffering that we're asked to endure when we, when we work with people like this. For example, if, if you're working in somebody's life, it's hard to go in there and ask them questions that might be painful to pursue. It's painful sometimes when you've got to open up your cloak of transparency and let them see how you've failed in the past so that they can learn from our failures. And it's painful just to walk alongside one who's going through some struggles and painful to help carry their baggage as you learn to walk through these things together. That's suffering. And Paul says if you want to be devoted, there's an aspect of willingness to suffer that we must endure. Secondly, there's a willingness to simplify. And I think this is especially hard here in the, the, the richness of Scottsdale because there's all sorts of tons of entanglements that come our way. These are referred to as what Paul writes them as civilian pursuits, and they're simply the lesser priorities that are out there that surround us. It could be families or fashion. It could be the sports or the courts that dominate our world, uh, or it could be vocations or vacations. All kinds of things out there that want to get our attention and then entangle us. And Paul's saying, hey, you, Timothy, you've got to learn to cut through these you got to learn to simplify life and focus on those things that matter the most. For example, if you're a soldier, if you jump in a, a Huey helicopter and you're, you're around a bunch of Army Rangers or Navy SEALs, ask them how much attention they're paying to their Cox cable bill, and my bet would be that they'd boot you right out of the helicopter. Their single-minded focus on their mission and that's what we need to be if we want to be devoted. We've got to have that same intensity and simply get rid of so many things that want to just wrap us up and not do what we were called to do. I'd hate to stand before Jesus and say that I've simply been too busy to do that which you've called me to do. There's a third willingness, and that's the willingness simply to simply please Christ that's involved in being a devoted follower. The one who is devoted simply wants to please Christ. It's what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, when he would say simply, we make it our aim to please Christ. Can you imagine how our day would be different today or tomorrow if you said everything that I'm going to do today is simply going to be aimed at pleasing Christ? Our days would be different. And that's, again, the willingness of a devoted soldier. So, willingness to simplify, willingness to suffer, willingness to simply please Christ, does that devotion describe you? You don't have to say out loud or raise your hands. I'll let that percolate in your mind. Being devoted. Well, the next occupation that Paul describes for us is the athlete. And the character quality there is the honesty of an athlete. One who is honest. He writes in verse 5, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
And that's so easy for us to understand. In a, it seems like in a decades of athletes, one after another, who are getting booted out or um, uh, having their crown removed, like Barry Bonds or Lance Armstrong or a number of other ones that could attest there's a price to be paid if you don't follow the rules. And yet, on the other hand, I was thinking of even this last week, if you're a golfer fan, you saw Ricky Fowler stick within the rules of golf. He hit, he was like, had a five-shot lead. He hit a ball in the water. Should have never got in the water. It kind of rolled along, almost rolled into the trap. It didn't. It rolled back down to a steep embankment and dropped in the water. So the rules of golf say you have to take a penalty shot and you place the ball back. Ricky did that. Then he went up to the green to look at the putt. And while he's doing, looking at this putt, he doesn't have anything to do, but that ball rolls back in the water. So now he's got to take another penalty stroke and he makes like a double bogey and he's, he's losing the tournament right there. But later on through the interviews, you could just see that Ricky understood the, the, the value and the honesty of playing by the rules. And he ends up winning the tournament. And I wish it were that promising for everybody who practices integrity, but unfortunately it's not. Sometimes there's a penalty that we pay with our integrity. If you're a student and you know that everybody else in your class is cheating, you might suffer a a lower grade if you stand on your integrity. If you're a salesman out in the workplace and you know that your product has a little defect and you disclose that defect, you might lose a sale and lose some income. But friends, can I tell you something? The far greater reward is when we can stand on our character and our integrity and our testimony for Christ shines far brighter than any trophy that we'd ever collect or any money that we'd possibly gain. Stand on your honesty and integrity as a follower of Christ. That's what it means to have that type of honesty as an athlete. And then the third occupation. I love this one. This is the farmer who's dedicated. Verse 6. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Hard-working. I rephrase it by being dedicated. Work hard. Be diligent. And then you too, with smiling eyes, can reply when the one that you've poured your life into, like Nano did with Joe, can reply with smiling eyes, I want to be just like Paul, just like Nano, just like Tom Schrader. I want to be just like the men and women that are right now meeting with our students, discipling them up to follow, passing on those things that are the most important to us so that they can receive it as well. Friends, I want us to be a strong, growing church. And we can only do that if we who are a little on the, on the bottom-heavy side of life, and by that I don't mean our posterior. I mean that in the hourglass sand of time, most of our sand is now down at the bottom. Will you be one who would be willing to pour your life into somebody else? 
who's a little top-heavy in that sand category, I'm telling you, nothing will put a bigger dent and make us more healthy as a body of believers than if we can simply pass it on. So I'd like to close, as Paul does in verse 7, by asking you to consider what you've heard this morning. Paul writes it up this way, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And he's not talking about being omniscient, only God is omniscient. But Paul is talking about in everything that I'm telling you, Timothy, think this over. Think it through. And don't let it just sit there in your mind. Let it percolate right out in everything that you do. So let me give you three action steps this morning. First action step, if you haven't already, can I invite you to simply accept the gift of grace that God is offering you through Jesus Christ? You can't earn your way to heaven. No one can ever do that. You'd have to be perfect, and only Jesus was perfect. And he offered his perfect life to pay for our imperfect sins. So if you haven't already, can I invite you this morning in the quietness of your own heart and mind, simply receive the gift of grace and the faith that comes with it to start your salvation and then enjoy the continual strengthening of grace that you will gain every day until God calls you home. Accept and receive the gift of grace. Second action step would be simply to be a fat receiver. Be a fat receiver, faithful, available, and teachable. At Highlands, we call that a B1 person. In our little slogan of discipleship, we say B1, make one, collectively as one. And you, I'd like to invite you to do that even this morning. You can go on our website, and it's as easy as filling out a disciple profile. You'll give us some information about you, when you can meet those things that are most important to you. You'll put that on there, and then we're going to do our best efforts to match you up with a make one person, a person who's got the character and the desire to simply want to pour in and invest in your life if you're a faithful, available, and teachable receiver. So that's step number two. And then step number three is simply being a make-one type of person. Pour your character into another. Man, do we need that. I'm looking over here at the Farringtons. What a great example of a couple who's willing to pour their life into somebody else. And I see so many other faces who I could call out by name. God bless you for your character and for your unselfish way about you that would be willing to pour into the next generation. Friends, that's what it's about. It's about passing on those things that are the most important. Just like Nano did it with Joe and Michelle. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, thank you so much again for, for such great words from one of your greatest servants, Paul to Timothy. Father, it'd be my prayer that we would, be, each of us, be able to respond in a way that would bring honor and a smile to your face. God, that we would be able to cut away those things that would entrap us and keep us from simply being obedient to you. 
that we would be men and women of strong character, who would be trustworthy, who would be devoted and dedicated, honest and just hardworking. And Father, that we would be able to invest our lives in the next generation that's coming along behind us. God, again, for, for your glory, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.